0: a Better Story podcast. I've got another what I think is really interesting conversation for you today. This one is with Dr. Ghazala Anwar, who is the professor of Quranic studies at the Graduate Theological Union in Berkeley, California. Ghazala sat down to talk about her understanding of what it means to be a Muslim, uh, to practice Islam, and then what it's like to be a Muslim in the United States today with all of the animosity, the hatred, the misunderstandings, and just general foolishness that is going around about Islam. So I think this is what I found to be a really refreshing and needed conversation. So I hope you will find it the same way. So uh, give it a listen, check it out, let me know what you think. Well, let's start off with what is your own history with Islam? How are you drawn into the study and the practice of it? My
1: family has been Muslim for as many generations as we can trace back, and in fact, my mother's family traces it back right to the time of the Prophet. Mm. And I know less about my father's side, but it seems that that's the case there as well. So our history is a long one. Mm.
0: What led you to devote so much of your time and study towards it? Because you have a doctoral degree in religious studies, correct? Yes,
2: yeah.
1: yes. yes. Well, I think even when I was a young person, I had several questions and my questions drove me hmm. and it was in pursuit of those questions and wanting to know more that I left Pakistan when I was not yet 16 to come and study here in the United States. And we had no relatives here, I knew no one. I applied to some places nobody guided me the first school that uh, accepted me I went there and that was Kalamazoo College Michigan Mm. so there too I took a course in Islam and I took other courses I was studying economics but I actually physically got sick on it Mm. because we were being taught very very conservative uh, Chicago school economics and I thought there should be something else that should be motivating human beings rather than just maximizing their profits. Mm. I know. So that's how my journey started. And so I got involved in the student Muslim Students Group there and Pakistan Student Association Group. And that was... I was exposed to one interpretation of the Quran there, which made... I guess it didn't make a lot of sense, but at least I was exposed to... A, a discourse that uh, I ha- that I needed to investigate more.
0: Hmm.
1: That's how it started.
0: You said you were you had questions. Can you talk about what those questions were? What led you to that study?
1: I guess you know. I think every child, maybe every child, has these questions. what you know, what would happen when I lose my parents? Hmm. And then there was another one about. For me, the way paradise was presented to me was very boring. (laughs) So I thought, I I, I was sure I was going to paradise, but I thought it's so boring there. You know, it didn't engage my spirit. And then as I grew older, um, I was a very, uh, I liked observing rituals and praying. But when I got my first period, I was told you can't pray during this time. So that for me was very shocking. So those were some of the questions um, that drove me.
0: That's so interesting because I was just talking to my wife about this last night. Those are similar questions within Christian faith that we were asking and still talk about a lot today. So the the questions seem to transcend the lines of faith sometimes. As you think about your journey and your study and practice of Islam, what has it done in and to you? How has it sort of drawn you into better ways of living, into a deeper appreciation of life, of the world around you?
1: So I sort of did it on my own, and it seemed like it took me a lifetime. And there were many sort of turns and wrong turns. Um, I left, I thought I'd left the faith. You know at one point I studied comparative religion, so I had a huge affair with Buddhism Mm. You know, it was sort of like my refuge for a while when I was going through a breakdown of what people call the dark night of the soul Mm. and then Hinduism, I seem to have Just a very intuitive and internal connection to it, which I don't even understand but so I had you know I drew in that tradition. Yoga was very important, and then slowly I was, I was just brought back to Islam. It was a slow coming right. back, and some of the people who helped me were Sufi teachers, because they, first of all, could see where I was coming from and could speak uh, in in terms that made sense to me. Right.
0: I want to come back to Sufism and Sufi teachers because that really intrigues me. But maybe we can kind of back up or zoom out a little bit.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: How would you articulate your understanding of Islam, your own faith, if uh, to someone who may not be familiar with Islam? Um, what would you? How would you sort of succinctly describe it? It's kind of a big question, but
1: yes. So from within the tradition, it is just uh, it's described in four words, which is "La ilaha illallah," which is no God, except God. And in terms of sound, it just has the ah, uh, la, and ha sound. So only three letters are repeated here. Hmm. Um, so it starts with a no. And I think that saying no to all that tries to take the place of divinity in our hearts and in our lives is huge it's 99.99% of the work and illallah is how we say the no except God mm. no God except God so I think that 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 statement is something that a beginner begins with and it's a statement that uh, that uh, that uh, sort of a veteran concludes with mm. that's uh, so and I, I realized with Buddhism mm. Uh, I got the la ilaha no God. So the negation, mm. you know, and they have neti neti not this not this so uh, And I, I believe in what finally how I understood Buddhism was that illallah is not spoken. It's in silence but because it has a very strong ethics and Eventually, uh, you know um, a good news that one can overcome our suffering, that that's where the connection was with Islam and mm. Buddhism, and so it clears it clears the space. And in terms of spatial, uh, you know, so sort of if you look, if you go to any of the traditional mosque, they're empty spaces. And also, uh, I remember it, in Philadelphia Museum, I saw some reconstruction of Buddhist monasteries, and there was an emptiness, a clarity, and even in Zen Buddhism.
2: Mm.
1: So for me. Um, it's continuously clearing the space to bring in the presence of God Hmm.
0: this is another large and potentially ridiculous question but how would you define, can you articulate an understanding of God, how would you articulate that word God, because it means a lot of different things to a lot of different people
1: yes, so um, I can share many metaphors (laughs) and maybe something will make sense. Uh, And one thing that Muslims agree all around is that God has no form. So that's the first uh, you know, first and almost last in a way, initial uh, prerequisite for whatever ascriptions we make of God. And the other is that whatever conception we may have of God, God is beyond that, God transcends that and the third one is that God is nearer to us than our jugular vein, so it's not an intellectual uh, exercise. So I think this sort of covers various places. Yeah. Yeah,
0: that's lovely. And that seems to segue sort of into a conversation a little bit about Sufism and Sufi teachers. Um,
1: Yes, so uh, actually, so how do people, how do people then uh, find God and for Sufis how do we clear our heart? So it's through the medicine of the names of God Hmm. and the names of God you know, generally we call them, their 99 names, but there, there are many. You know, there are innumerable names of God. Because they say if all the water in the oceans was ink, and all the trees on earth were made into pens, because initially pens were made out of, you know, yep. <laughs> twigs, that the ink would finish before the names of God, hmm. or the words of God would finish. So... Uh, but generally, uh, the, in Sufism, it basically it is again clearing out the heart, and in order to clear it out, one has to focus on something, right? So the focus is on names of God. So, for example, even uh, the the first principle of of Islam, La ilaha illallah. In some traditions, you're supposed to repeated at least 125,000 times as the first step. Mm. So it keeps you busy for a while, <laughs> it does. right? And so the idea is that first you're repeating with your heart uh, with your tongue, but then you repeat it with your tongue quiet and you listen to your heart saying it. So it's quickening the heart with the remembrance of God.
2: Mm.
1: And once we get to that then it takes us into um, what we call marakava which means guarding our heart, so no uh, nothing else can get in there and another aspect of it is um you know sort of clearing ourselves of negative qualities greed anger anger is a huge one impatience um pessimism so there are uh, according to the to where what the predominant conditions are that we need to clear out of ourselves certain names of god are used so people who are very um, weighed down by by grief or loss they would be given the name ya latif it means the subtle one but also the one who, who who instills the joy in you yeah. so so they would be asked to meditate and to repeat that name so that's a you know that's a very important aspect of Sufi, Sufi training yeah. and then the other is guidance through various signs guidance through the dreams and having a teacher who can interpret your dreams or help you understand your dreams um, and the fasting is important because fasting helps clear things up mm. much faster.
0: And if folks aren't familiar, Sufism is the more I don't know about more, but a sort of mystical understanding of Islam. Is yes. that correct?
1: Sufism is the inner practice.
0: Okay.
1: And it's the because there is the outer observance, and Sufism makes sure that one has the inner inner presence that goes along with those outer observances, because if we don't, then the outer observances don't add up to much. Hmm. They don't lead anywhere. Hmm.
0: You mentioned in your own story, it was Sufi teachers that articulated an understanding of Islam that sort of drew you back in, or connected with you. Were there particular aspects of that? Were there things in that? What What was that that drew you back in, some of those ideas or teachings?
1: So I'll give you some little instances here and there. There is this, um, there is, um, you know, like in many mystical traditions, there is this understanding that people whose hearts become alive with the remembrance of God, and who are called the friends of God, and you know, which is the name for saints in the Muslim tradition, that even when they die, physically they don't die and if they're, they're there so there is this tradition for example of visiting the shrines of Sufi Saints and the understanding is that if you go there with respect and offer you know you offer a prayer um, for the soul of the departed or just for even for anybody the first surah of the Quran and you sit quietly and humbly that you get spiritual gifts mm-hmm. And one way that you get gifts is that you you find a certain prayer coming into your heart or a certain name coming into your heart. So if you, uh, if you continue with that, all of those are openings. And that leads to the next step and the next step. So uh, even though we don't know, so a lot of people, this is one of the, also the traditions, is that if we are in an area where we know there is a, saint uh, in that area that we go and pay our respects Mm -hmm. and just sit quietly and engage in remembrance of God and then we get the blessings from them too and some teachings from them or some insights or some names of God so I've had those experiences as well. One time I woke up with this one name of a neighborhood in Istanbul and I didn't even know I just knew the word so I mentioned to a friend and he said oh yeah, yeah there is a Sufi saint a very important Sufi saint of Istanbul. He was buried there So the next time I decided to take a break my journey there and I went there and I sat there for seven days and I learnt a lot and much was given to me So it happened in all kinds of ways. Some people have more um, Specific teachers that they learn with. I have learned with teachers for periods of time and Then I have moved on
0: How is uh, Sufism perceived within other circles of Islam? Is it, I'm reflecting on the mystical traditions within my own tradition in Christianity, and sometimes they're looked at with a little bit sideways or a little little bit of skepticism, and sometimes they're looked at with a lot of respect depending on where a person is sitting within that tradition.
1: Yes, and that's exactly how it is. But I think that, for example, uh, you know I belong to the Indian subcontinent I'm from Pakistan so that's one Muslim culture uh, there was a lot of respect for, for the sub-off. that's the Arabic name for it mm-hmm. and for saints and every city and every region has their saints the city of Delhi has its patron saint, Lahore has its patron saint so the cities in a way develop around these saints and um so that's there, but there is a certain trend, a modernist trend, uh, also buttressed by uh, the Wahhabi ideology, that has tried to uh, cancel this aspect mm. of Islam, which is very troubling. So a lot of times, one of the things that we now see is um, suicide bombings on the sh- in the shrines of saints. Mm. Because they, according to the Wahhabi understanding, this is all qualities. Uh, so they have a very in, strange understanding of, hmm. yeah, a very limited, a very, uh, you know, I, uh, in my opinion, very superficial understanding.
0: Can you talk a little more about that? Because, unfortunately, it seems like... If you're outside of a conversation or if you're not in a relationship with someone who might be practicing Islam and you're just watching the news, that's going to be a person's primary understanding of Islam, unfortunately. So can you kind of unpack some of that a little bit and talk about um, that skewed perception a little bit that you see there?
1: Well, I think for every um, thing that we might... First of all, media thrives on negative news. Mm -hmm. So you do not get positive news. And for every negative news that you get, there's at least a thousand positive things that are happening. But they're so far away that we don't know, we have no access to any of that. Mm. And also the news feeds into whatever the agenda is, foreign policy goals are, and so it's extremely, terribly skewed. Yeah. And and there are other resources. Media is the worst place to go. <laughs> worst place to go for uh, for our you know, understanding of especially Islam.
0: Where would you recommend people go?
1: I think they can you know, reading. Yeah. Readings, you know, like I think an entry point because Sufis also address the existential which every human being, you know, can relate to. So for example, Rumi Rumi, Rumi's poetry, mm. Hafiz's poetry—they are that's world-class poetry. Yeah, and it's also the you know every sort of educated person knows Muslim is supposed to know these poets.
2: Yeah.
1: You know they are sort of quoted daily in our circles. Yeah, it's not something that some people know about, so. I think that's one, and then now there are resources in the English language that people are writing books to bring understanding mm.
0: again, this may be too broad of a question, so apologies if I'm painting with too broad of a brush. Um, if you have someone who is coming to you and asking, you know, mm-hmm. I'm interested in Islam and becoming a Muslim mm-hmm. where would you start with them? what would you what would? be the sort of basic teachings, first steps, directions, those sort of things.
1: Well, I think the first thing would be I would ask why I'd interested. Mm. You know, because it's a, it's serious business. Mm. And there are huge consequences, especially in this country. So um it would be first discerning if they're converting for the right reasons you know yeah. or if they're just running away from certain things and conversion is as much about running away from things as it about, as it is about getting into something yeah. and so one has to make that discernment so you know I generally first will discourage people not you know just because I want them to be sure and serious yeah and once they are and they they Know for sure that that's what they would like to do Um, Then uh, just because it's uh, you know uh, Muslims are expected to observe in very physical ways observe their faith in very physical ways pray five times a day and wash themselves up before they pray Evolution, so it can be a lot for a person. So I would say to go very slowly. Mm. You know, start with one prayer a day. So and hang out with others who are observing and have them have a buddy who can be there. sort of. Yeah, know.
0: I love that you start by discouraging them because yeah. again, I'm speaking from out of my own tradition in the sort of evangelicalism mm-hmm. version of Christianity I grew up with. It was the total opposite. It was anything to get them in the door and signed up and that sort of thing. And yeah. then, the actual practice, the actual interior work, was often very minimal or non-existent. So I love that. <laughs> that's where you start with people, is to
1: yeah. That's where I start, but you can find people who just want to sign up. Yeah. So you they're happy because there's increase in numbers. Yeah. Uh, but for me, the concern is, do they have the support they need? Hmm. Because, and in fact even uh, in the news in Pakistan, there was this young person, he was uh, 13 or 14, who went to a minister to say, I want to convert. And he said, come back when you're 18.
2: Hmm. <laughs> oh, so, yeah. uh,
1: and that is also because he will he will alienate his family. He hmm. will lose all of that support. He hmm. And he needs more time to think about all this and in I have you know over the years I have observed that some people will remain in the closet about being a Muslim for up to seven or ten years wow and then so some I watched some many people who came out at 9-11 they were sort of private Muslims yeah. but they did not go to the mosque they didn't mix with other Muslims but they just sort of you know when yeah. you have these watershed um, events some, that pushes them out so that's for the for the people who are in the middle class or who, who enjoy a relative, relatively privileged position mm. because it comes with a stigma in, in the west yeah so they you know they stay but they sort of can't help themselves so they they have a lot of knowledge they've studied a lot they have practice on their own and then finally then they'll write me a note and say Well, this time in the census, we couldn't help but admit that we were Muslims. So, you know, finally they come around. It takes them a while. I think that's a a good, good way to do it. Yeah, indeed. It's a very slow, organic process.
0: Do you mind talking about that stigma and how you have had to experience and then counter that stigma that you talk about in the West?
1: Well, I have just had to be careful. You know, and now i've had I've had to be a lot more careful. So one of the things is about censoring what words I use when I'm out in the public yeah. because it might just you know yeah. trigger somebody because they have a very negative impression of that. Um, it's also about even what book I'm reading because if it's in a different script, yeah. for example in you know i don't know how it is now but the last time i visited new york in their subways they they have this constant message if you see anything suspicious you know contact such and such number and if you see somebody reading a book in a script you don't understand that can be very suspicious so i um you know when i came here in 1975 no one knew anything about Islam and they didn't care either way. But now people have a lot of misinformation. So we have to be very careful. On the phone, there are certain words I will not use, Hmm. you know. Uh, So I've, I've, I've noticed myself censoring myself, which is the opposite of why I came here. I came here to be able to think freely, to express myself freely. And now I, you know, instead of walking, I drive. I make sure I'm not going to be found in a small town in a motel at night. No.
2: Yeah.
1: You know? uh, and those were things I didn't I never had to think about. So now basically it's you know there are certain pockets, certain areas within which I feel safe. Hmm. And other, you know, other places and are not on my list I even avoid. Um, I fly. I travel a lot, but I avoid domestic flights if I can.
0: Hmm. That's so unfortunate and so sad. I mean, it's not surprising, but it's also just to see what sounds like a regression over your time in the United States. Yes, yes. As you experience that and think about it, are there how do we move forward? What are some understandings that need to happen? What what's the step towards? Um, Walking back from that sort of stigma and hate and and Islamophobia sure. and all of the negative sort of culture that's developed
1: well I, th- I think part of it is a macro analysis of u.s foreign policy hmm. you know, a real thorough analysis. We're not going to get too far because that is what feeds that's the that's the message being conveyed now through all the media coverage. yeah. And then on the micro level, you know, there are many, many um, efforts now that we see, like, for example, you know, having tea with your Muslim neighbor, and and interfaith sorts of things, books on the subject that actually do make sense. Yeah. But, um, you know, because there's a huge investment in the weapons industry. That's the largest industry. In the world yeah. so we need war fields it actually does not matter who gets killed and who wins No, it's not about good winning over the bad it's about just uh, having constant war hmm. so weapons can be tried obsolete weapons can be tried and more weapons can be sold to both sides
0: yeah creating supply and demand
1: yes it's just so wars are needed to create a supply for the weapons and as a human race we're spending you know exponential amounts on weapons and we cannot expect peace and we will expect all kinds of misunderstandings to continue to be in a state of war with each other so without that macro analysis I don't think we'll get too far yeah but we we actually see nothing of it in the news
0: yeah yeah there are it seems like there are uh, stories or narratives that just aren't questioned that it's Right. it's just exactly. assumptions yeah. yes well, let's maybe uh change subjects a little bit but sort of on a related note um you talked about interfaith conversations yes how do you articulate or how do you think about um a Muslim conception of God versus, um, I could just speak out of my own tradition, a, a Christian conception of God? Um, you know, the big question is always are we worshipping the same God or are we worshipping a different God? How do you How do you answer that question and get into those conversations?
1: Right. So if you have read the Quran at all, it's very interfaith. Yeah. Especially it's in conversation with Jews and Christians and addresses them directly. Mm. And, uh, so a, a scholars who sort of Read it uh, as uh, distant observers say. It may even be a conversation within the Christian tradition in some parts of the Quran. Mm. So, um, it's it says. I mean, in one place it says, "Look, you and I, we, you or people of the book, and we worship in the same in the same God." Mm. And for you. Are your good deeds, and for us are our deeds. We both have to be accountable for what we do. So let's come together on this that we worship the same God. So that said, now in the things that we disagree, this is the this is the Quranic attitude. Let us postpone that uh, any judgments on it till the day of, you know, that we stand before God and we let God judge that. I like that. (laughs) Which which I think, because I don't think we can ever resolve those by our conversations. Yeah. So uh, then what are we left with? We're left with cooperating with each other in good deeds.
2: Mm.
1: Or competing with each other in good deeds. And that's where interfaith dialogue should be. We should be thinking about you know the war zones how do we bring peace there we should be bringing about how do we bring water where there's no water how do we bring food in areas where children are dying from malnutrition and those are the shared ethics and so the Quran is very clear that you work with each other on shared ethics yeah. you do not and, and you suspend theological discussions till the day of judgment and let God And so one of the issues is Trinity. So Quran Quranic understanding of Jesus is uh, That he was a you know, he was a very special beloved You know servant of God and prophet of God and he was given miracles by the permission of God Yeah, but he was not divine in in any way that other human beings are not right. I mean so, so it say, states that clearly, but it does not see that as the way to conduct interfaith hmm. dialogues. That's an intrafaith dialogue. So that when that position is expressed, a person wherever they are, listen to it, hear it, and then they have to weigh it in their own hearts. It's yeah. nothing that you know. It's it's not about debate.
0: Yeah. So it it certainly makes claims, or there are areas of disagreements, but it also provides a way forward around those, yes. it sounds like. Yes, It
1: says we agree to disagree yeah. and theologically, but there is much in terms mm-hmm. of ethics where we can cooperate. Yeah. And I, I actually like that. I think it should be about cleaning up our streets, you know, just doing the basics, delivering the basics to the human species that we haven't delivered. And once we're done with that... If we still have time, <laughs> we can maybe nitpick in terms of theological terms. That makes a lot of sense to yeah. me. I like that a lot. Right.
0: Well, great. This has been really helpful. Is there anything that uh, I haven't made space for, anything, that any last thoughts, ideas that would be helpful to get out there?
1: No. Just if you have any questions that you'd like to ask, go ahead, but...
0: Yeah, well, great. I
1: think we had a good conversation. Yeah.
0: Well, I really appreciate it. And thank you for having the conversation. You're welcome. Thanks so much.